Hello, and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wildbo's most besieged work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Duress 12.5, or as it's alternatively known, the Bad Plan chapter. <laughs> or, no, not the <laughs> uh, Bad Plan what? chapter. Yeah, a Bad <laughs> Plan chapter, yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, that seems like a big call to make. I'm not ready to make that call until the very end of the book. And even then, I think it will be like you could do like a a 64 bracket. Yeah. Like on, on who who deserves that title. And maybe we will. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> um, but before we dive into the chapter, I wanted to quickly touch on the fan art results because we were away when it ended and we forgot to do it uh, last time, which was silly. Um. So obviously the the winner was uh, your kid by Aquila and a- Aquila. Yeah, I'm gonna pull a bit of a Kanye West moment here and say yes, Aquila, you did well, you did well. But actually, Helen C had the best fan art of the year with right hand. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so obviously we were thrilled to see not only like a couple of of fantastic uh, packed fan art bits, but but you know one that made it all the way to second, and it was really like I re- I really liked it. Yeah, it was really um, good. It was a great example of how to throw a bunch of references in in a very natural way. Um, so yeah, congratulations, Helen C. <laughs> the references were in there in a way that Scott, who still doesn't hasn't read most of Packed, didn't get them, but everyone else did get them, and they weren't spoilers, which was top stuff, yeah. Helen C. So awesome work. Yeah, uh, that was fantastic. And um, obviously, those of you who listen to We've Got Water as well will know that the uh, the costume contest uh, for Halloween has kicked off over there. Now, technically on paper, it's it's a Parahumans fan art contest. Oh, yeah, but it's Halloween. It's Halloween. Um, Pact is so much more Halloween than Parahumans. Well, Ma- Matt and Scott have a, have a big weakness, which is that they're, they're actually very nice people. So I, I don't <laughs> think they're going to say no to people who submit Pact uh costumes yeah so we haven't run this by them at all but i say go ahead and submit pack yeah, costumes if you wanna is there a and, theme uh, and or it's just halloween there'll be a link in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm throwing you, you under the bus like this Elliot. <laughs> um yeah do your best uh insert theme here themed costume and uh we'll uh yeah it'll be great um what are some good ideas for packed uh costumes you could do a blake that would be pretty cool um, you could do a barbatorum, get a pair of shears, or, or just like a person in a pair of shears and you're like in the reflection. That would be cool. Don't know how you're going to do it, but you'll figure it out. <laughs> Walk around with a big mirror around yourself. That's a pretty good Blake uh, or even Rose uh, for the female cosplayers there. Works for both. You could uh, reuse a chicken little costume and, and, and be Evan. Yep, 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 yep. Play both sides. Do you remember, Elliot, when Rose was in the mirror? Feels like it was so long ago now. (laughs) (laughs) It was, yeah, it was almost two weeks in story time. (laughs) Not even that, like one week. Um, Yeah, so submit your entries to the costume contest, and I would love to see some pack-themed costumes, uh, especially of green eyes, which I know would be difficult to do, but I'd love to see it. (laughs) Just get an aerial costume and some green contact lenses, and you're good to go. (laughs) Yeah, that would actually be amazing. Um, And I mean, green eyes is a fan favorite. I reckon that's a smart choice. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, should we 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 do the chapter? Should we even do the (laughs) chapter? Let's skip the chapter this time and just talk about costume (laughs) ideas. Uh, No, so... If you recall, at the end of last chapter, Duress 12.4, um, Blake suggested that they go to the Abyss, and everyone was like, 
that's obviously a terrible plan. And now it's 12.5 and they're just going to do it. No time to talk about it. Just do it. Um, Operation Drain Drop is a, a go. And Ty starts kind of half preparing, half improvising a way to get there. Yeah. And I mean, doesn't this feel so like packed or, or the, the world of packed that they spent a bunch of time talking last chapter, didn't really get anywhere. And now they're just having their hands forced and they're having to go ahead with a plan that they're not really happy yeah. with. Uh, we talked a lot about how people just sort of leave things until they've been, until they're forced to do something about it. And like, I mean, they had a lot to get through, so maybe this is unfair, but it kind of feels like that's what's happening here a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, they say that, that a good compromise leaves everyone unhappy and this plan obviously leaves everyone unhappy. So therefore it's probably a good plan. Yeah. Um, I mean, sure. <laughs> that's the only way <laughs> that's you're going to get through in this world. Yep. Um, I mean, also, I brought this up in my live read, and, and I'm just doing it again here because it very much upsets me that it looks like a lot of the books are going to get destroyed. Mm. And that probably says something about me, that, like, I'm getting more upset at the books getting destroyed than, like, almost anything else that's happened in this story so far. But I hate it. I, I hope the books are going to be okay. I bet some of these books have demons in them as well, which means if they get destroyed, those demons are coming out, which uh, is kind of terrifying. Um. Yeah, I mean, well... Hopefully, hopefully the thought of that is reason enough for everyone to just leave the books alone. Yeah. Because it's just this, the thought, you know, they spent generations building this library up I, and all that information will be lost. It's awful. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. all shit information, um, but still. Yeah, it's all about demons. So maybe it's fine that it gets lost. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we get a quote here by Blake saying, you've basically summed up the last few weeks of my life. And of course, this is our uh, arc every arc reminder that this whole story has taken place over the course of a few weeks. This story is basically a month of hell for Blake. Yeah. And, and especially cause he was kind of out of it for most of that, right? Like a, a, an inordinate amount of our time of the time that's passed in this story was in that one chapter. Was it, was it 9.4, 9.3, uh, where he found out that his past was, was a crock of shit, um, sort of, um, and so it's kind of like, you know, the, the, the whole rest of the story has been over t- two, three weeks. Two weeks, two and a half, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and then it was like, you know, maybe a month or so he lost to just that vision. So it's, yeah, it's not been a great month for Blake. Yeah, since he got out of the drains, it's been like three days, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Uh, it depends how long he was in that mirror. Uh, he kind of lost yeah, track true. of Yeah, true. That's true. Um. But yeah, and so I think the other thing I, I wanted to touch on from this segment was, um, so as you said, Ty is jerry-rigging a, a portal to the abyss, um, and he draws an Ouroboros, mm. uh, which as one of the three people in the history of the world that has watched the show Millennium, <laughs> uh, is a symbol that stands out to me. Um, and so I just wanted to talk about that, because for, for people who don't know, like the Ouroboros, it's that um, like snake eating its own tail. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's like it symbolizes a bunch of stuff like it's often to do with infinity and stuff but uh one of the big ones is like the whole you know cycle of life and death like it's a snake eating its own tail it sort of talks about how you know new life springs up from consuming the old um you know chewing up the the old <laughs> and and spitting out the new um what does that like it's mean? just such a perfect <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's such a perfect image for the abyss like uh, we don't know enough about general portals or anything like portal rituals or or um like the abyss summoning stuff to know for sure but the the ouroboros as a symbol for the abyss is just sort of so perfect that i have to believe that 
this was maybe part of Ty's just really clever improving. Like maybe he was just like, uh, you know, based on what he said about the abyss, he knows enough about it to be like, yeah, this is a pretty good symbol for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I wonder how much of Ty's ritually thing here is improved. It seems very improved, which if, if true, Ty, you're doing bang on work, man. Like this works mm. very well considering. Actually, I think Blake mentioned that it, the Ouroboros was facing in, not out. Mm. And, and so maybe that distinction, like the fact that he's making that distinction implies that when they've done portals in the past, it was an Ouroboros going or you mm. know, facing out, not in. So maybe it is sort of a general portal or abyss image, but it, it's it's so great for for you know where they're about to go, especially considering Blake's relationship with the with the abyss. Yeah, definitely. Um, so as as Ty is kind of setting this up, they're chit chatting, and uh, Tiffany and Ellie have this interesting little spat where Tiffany's kind of trying to promote having an optimistic view even in the face of all the kind of death and horror that they're facing, while Ellie is obviously a lot more negative, a lot more of a pessimist. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically, us and, and Ellie just get a little reminder that the Thorbones don't have a monopoly on shit families. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, d- I don't feel like this bit has resolved no, yet. Like- yeah, it definitely feels like Ellie has more to say and Tiffany has... She kind of hints at things that you feel like are going to get more developed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, um, I mean, I, I feel like more this is just reminding us that Tiff has this kind of terrible backstory, and 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 so I, you know, it's maybe laying the seeds. Like, I, I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if this shows up in the next few chapters again, like something to do with Tiffany's backstory, especially considering, I mean, it looks like they're about to get right out of the abyss, but like, who knows if other people had visions when Blake had his? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, but I mean, like, the, the obvious thing that sort of starts to come up is that basically all of the Thorburns always like to say, oh, well, I'm I'm a bit shit, but it's because my family's shit. Yeah. And uh, Tiff- Tiffany's sort of standing here as this example of, well, just because the people who, you know, you grew up with were shit, it doesn't mean you have to be shit. Yeah, it's um, a great, she's a great counterexample to that narrative. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, well, we've mentioned how Pactor's talked about this a fair bit um, throughout the story, so it'll be interesting to see how that develops if she's standing as a bit of a counterexample to that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I I kind of think back to the Tiffany that we knew back in the Toronto arc, who was someone who was quite meek and seemed a bit weak-willed, and she does really well here. Like, she, she mm. really confidently and competently holds her own and defends her point eloquently against Ellie. Um and I, I, I kind of like the direction that she's gone. She's still obviously someone who has a lot of um, baggage that she's kind of working through, but she's clearly ma- kind of turned into someone who has uh, taken on a lot of this responsibility that's been lumped on her and really run with it. Um, I'm really a, a Tiffany stan here. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, you're right. Back in Toronto, she was sort of the one they were having to, like, sort of contrive scenarios where she could be out the back or yeah. whatever. And avoiding conflict because she was the one dealing with it the worst. Now she's just kind of strong as fuck, and like yeah. she's the one laying down defensive barriers. She is one of the ones who copes better when they end up in the abyss. Yeah. Um, as you said, she kind of just shuts Ellie down here. Um, but she's really <laughs> stepping up and and just kind of you know owning it, and it's it's pretty great. The thing I love about it as well is that it hasn't made her cold. Like you can kind of no. see it as her. I, I think for a different character. You could see her 
uh, becoming more badass, in quotes, which is not really the right word, but whatever, um, as her losing that Tiffany kind of touch. But she was the one who gave Midge two coats, you know, Mm. duct taped together or whatever. Like, she's still clearly someone who is very empathetic and caring, but also a lot better in a crisis than she used to be. Like, she's really blossomed, and I'm so here for it. Yeah, exactly. Well, and she was drawing much better boundaries and all this stuff with with Ellie, Um, like just kind of standing her ground and being like, no, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, totally. It was awesome. Um, So, in order to get to the Abyss, they have to destroy something valuable. They try with a brooch that was stolen by Ellie, but uh, it doesn't work. (laughs) But luckily for them, uh, the desk that they use to destroy the brooch ends up working. It breaks through the floor and opens a little portal down to the Abyss, then falls into the Abyss itself, gone forever. So I'd like to say, I think I like this idea of having to sacrifice something valuable as being, again, maybe specific to the abyss rather than portals in in general. Because it's like the idea of of the fact, like, really, what you have to sacrifice is is something with meaning. And and presumably in the world of Pact, that means something with lots of important and strong connections. Yes. Uh, And that's just so, so perfect. The idea of the... You know, the abyss basically saying, uh, you, you got to give me meaning that I can chew up uh, and, and I'll let you in. Um, it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I really like it. And apparently the, this desk uh, meets that criteria. I absolutely love that they try with the brooch and it fails and then the desk accidentally works. It's like, <laughs> it's classic Wild Bow world building where, like, you know, in a lesser story, you can imagine that they try with the brooch and it works and it's got sentimental value. And it's not really a thing. The The kind of meat of this chapter is them in the tenements, right? So why would you even need to have a little bit of a, oh, no, it's not going to work, but it does kind of thing. But it's so classic, like, having this little extra beat that says, okay, you thought it was this brooch, but actually this writing desk has a lot of sentimental value to Granny Rose, presumably, and now it's lost. And it kind of adds this, like... It just adds so much flair and flavor to how everything goes down. It's so typical for Wabo, and I absolutely adore it. Yeah, it's one of those little extra details we've talked about a fair bit. Like it, it's sort of that extra step in 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 the world building and stuff that just makes it feel so much more alive. Um, yeah, and, and I think in general, this whole segment with with opening this portal it handles the tension so well. Like just as just as they're getting ready to start trying to open the portal. Uh, everything suddenly goes silent outside and, and, you know, that makes things even more ominous because you're like, okay, they're trying something. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, as they're sort of moving the table over, something's banging down the door and it just keeps getting more and more tense and then it doesn't work and you're panicking. Um, it's, and then it sort of accidentally just kind of works. It's, yeah, it's like really tense to read. It's really well managed. Yeah. Yeah. It's great, isn't it? Um, you can kind of imagine them jumping quickly down into the portal as a djinn or whatever. I mean, not the djinn, the djinn vanished, but as some malicious thing lunges at them and misses them by a hair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they all jump down into the abyss and they find themselves basically holding onto the side of a huge apartment complex with um, tens, if not hundreds, of windows. And it's a new drain. Uh, it's awesome. Um, we, found, we find a new area. It's called the Tenements. And it's one of my favorite abyss locations. <laughs> I'm really hyped for it. It gives me that Stargate vibe where the thing about Stargate was literally anything could be on the other side of the gate. And it's the same thing here where there are a bunch of windows and anything could come out of any window at any time. So it's literally just free reign for any wild shit to happen. And I, I'm, I'm, I love it. 
yeah, there's a great sort of potluck feeling to uh, as they go past each apartment. Um, I mean, I, I'm just kind of impressed in the whole group that nobody fell all the way down. Oh, yeah. Like, the fact that everyone managed to grab onto something, and then they all managed to kind of keep climbing. Um, like, good on everyone. Yeah, they really um, nailed it. I, I, I probably would have just fallen and died. This would have been the ending of my story. Uh, <laughs> Let's actually, be real. I, well, I wouldn't you wouldn't have, have made, made it this I far. I wouldn't have made it this far, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, if I'd made it this far, this would have been yet another point where it probably would have ended. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I want to quickly talk about the, the tenements as, as being the area under Jacob's Bell, because the way they move around here does seem to imply that the Abyss kind of maps one-to-one with normal reality. With physical to, to space, some degree. yeah, that's what Alexis says. Uh, they need to go, whatever, 200 metres northwest so that they're out of yeah. the house. Um, yeah, and so... I mean, yeah, that seems to imply to me that there's at least some kind of, of mapping. Uh, and, and, you know, we talked a bit in, I think it was our 11.x episode, about how, you know, the Abyss might have been, like, concepts that sort of slipped through the cracks in an area or um, symbolic yeah. of the area somehow, but we, we weren't super sure. And obviously, no, nothing we talked about makes sense for having giant apartments under Jacob's Bell. Yes. Um. So, like, I, I was just trying to think on this more, like, see if they're... Because I'm assuming there's some sort of general rule. Um, it, it could just be random, I suppose. But um, I, 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 I'm I, trying to piece together a rule. And what I've sort of gone... Like, like, one of the things we know about Jacob's Bell is it's been sort of waiting to grow, uh, but it's been stalled by Hillsglade House. And, and so I, I wonder if, like, maybe, maybe the forms of the abyss represent unused ideas or, or ideas that have been big but aren't manifesting in yeah. the area. I, I actually suspect the different abyss areas can have kind of different rules just based on the strong kind of vibes of that place. But I do really like the idea that this tenements is what Jacob's Bell, specifically Jacob's Bell at Hillsglade House, could be if not for Hillsglade House. I think that's a really cool idea. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I was just thinking, like, you know, say the mall uh, that, that Green Eyes ran into, which yeah. uh, Wobbo pointed out to us, was, was actually, like, just sort of the back end of, of, like, a big, like, department store or something. So it wasn't, like, a mall. It was, like, you know, the back of a department store. But as you went around it, it was just always the back of a department store. <laughs> um, so I wonder if there was, like, some big department store that was meant to get built somewhere that didn't or something. Yeah. Um, you know, or or you're right, maybe, maybe it's, like, different areas have sort of different effects, but it relates yeah. to the area in some way, but it doesn't always have to be the same way. Yeah, because that one I don't think would make sense with the forest that we saw for Midge. Um, wait, was it Midge who was in the forest or the faceless woman? I can't remember. Oh, there was a forest yeah, I was actually, at some point. I was actually just looking that up. Uh, no, Wobbo actually pointed that out to us as well. I don't think there was a forest. Wasn't there? Uh, it, it was the, the Revenant asked Blake if he was from the forest, and I took that to be an implication that the faceless woman was from a forest. Right. But uh, Wobbo actually just pointed out that Blake is like a walking tree, so the <laughs> yeah. might have been <laughs> yeah. uh, assuming he came from a forest. Yeah, that which makes sense. Make, yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, so there may not have been a forest area. I'm actually just skimming through 11.x now, trying to remember what Midge's version looked like. On the Pact Wiki, I don't think it mentioned a forest as one of the abyss locations that we see. There's the drains, the mall the tenements, but no forest. Anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah, I do like the idea of lost potential, though. I think it fits in really well thematically with what the abyss could be. Especially for Jacob's Bell, because there is seemingly a oh, lot yeah. of unused potential. 
uh, for yeah. now. Yes. Um, I, I actually did some, I, I did some quick Googling to see if there was like anything notable about Toronto's sewer system, like when I was trying to build this pattern. Um, and you can do tours of it. Um, mm. Don't take the tour. Is, <laughs> yeah. Apparently it is somewhat notable, but uh, I, yeah, I would not recommend that because you may not make it back out uh, as a human. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't come up with anything concrete, but uh, I don't know. Okay. Well, we'll see. Um, I, I do have to say, I think the abyss is one of my favorite, like, things in a wild boast story ever. Like, conceptually, it's just so incredible. Um, I really love it. And I, I love the way that it strips away all the artifice for all of our characters and we get to see what the person is actually like underneath. We kind of see that with Roxanne and Catherine in this chapter, I would say. But regardless, like every time we're in the abyss, I just, it wows me how great of an idea for a a, a place in this world it is. Mm. I mean, yeah, like I, I get that it's terrible and everything, but, but every time we, t- we come down here, we see so many cool things. Uh, we get so many great reveals. Uh, it's it's a cool place to to come as a as a reader. <laughs> yes, um, I don't want to go there in real life. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm almost bummed that it looks like they're about to get out so quickly because, um, I mean, obviously Blake saw something that's that's enough to justify this uh this whole trip narratively. But, yeah. Um, I'd be super interested to learn more about what maybe happened to the rest of them. Uh, while they're yeah. in here. Like, did yeah. the others see something? Um, or not all of them have been pushed that much, you know, aside from the general, like, rock climbing that they needed to do. Yeah, it's true. Um, Roxanne is the first one to face a bit of a trial, I would say. Um, she is basically <laughs> uh, infested by bugs that do some really gross things. So, bug warning for those of you who are bug-phobic. Uh, um they just kind of crawl in her and under her skin, and it's really gross. Uh, yeah, it's it's horrible. Um, it's yeah. You're a monster, wild bow. That's all we need to say. <laughs> um, um, yeah. I mean, it, it's I I I choose to view this as an homage to the greatest movie ever, The Mummy Returns. Ah, uh, yes, that was a gross um, scene. That scarab scene. Ugh. Well, I, uh, the grossest scarab scene is in The Mummy. I'm talking oh. about The Mummy Returns, the, the even better one. Um. But that's that's not an argument we need to have right now. This is okay. I, I could talk about these movies for a yeah. long time. Let's just move I don't on want to talk too awesome. much about gross bug infestations, I'll be honest. <laughs> if I wanted that, uh, we'd do a podcast about worm. Um, so, yeah, this is horrible. Uh, it's really horrifying, and it makes me feel really bad for Roxanne, which is a sentence I didn't think I would ever say. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, obviously she, she cops it pretty bad. And, and uh, I mean, because, you know, she sort of gives up here for a little bit um yeah which is which is sort of interesting like as you sort of said we're we're seeing a bit more of of all our um people uh you know how they deal with adversity or don't Um, deal well yeah and and roxanne seems to really struggle here um but there's a few other interesting character interactions we should touch on from this section like green eyes seems really pissed at blake that they're back here which is fair but i also found that very upsetting because she's been such a like positive uh She's been giving off such positive vibes till now that it's like, I, I don't know, it's just <laughs> sad to see her angry. I agree with that with that statement. It's just funny to me that everyone has so easily latched on to Green Eyes giving out such positive vibes because she is like <laughs> on the, 
her surface a, a really horrifying. creepy horrifying mermaid yeah. monster <laughs> but like everyone just kind of immediately jumps on board with like she is a wholesome force of good which i really like <laughs> um no you're right it, yeah it's interesting um i i kind of wonder i mean green eyes kind of has a point that sh- it's like her worst nightmare being back here right um yeah, I can kind of understand why she's a little peeved that she has been summoned back up. She was freed, then she was summoned to help a friend, and then that friend was like, "Ooh, psych, let's go." Let's go. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, there's also this bit where Blake, so Blake like enters the place and saves Alexis, and then like makes a point of noting that he abandoned her. Yeah. Uh which is. I don't know. It seemed very unblake. It's strong wording, isn't it? For like um, leaving her to go help someone else. Yeah, it's it's its own paragraph too. It's just I abandoned her. Um and that seems not only kind of unblakeish to abandon someone, but particularly Alexis. Uh so yeah, I mean I I don't know, especially considering how this chapter ends. Um I'm not sure exactly what to read into that because obviously the where their relationship was like at this point in the story is is irrelevant by the end of the chapter so yeah um yeah i I don't know i like the idea that she could be he could be reading that from her from the spirits which you wrote down in these notes i really Mm. like that like maybe he's just like yeah i'm gonna leave her and go do something else to help someone else but alexis sees it as oh he's he's just come over and then he's abandoned me and so that's how blake's internal narrative worded it i think that's a cool idea yeah, yeah, it sort of it sort of made sense to me uh, a bit. Um, I mean, I think the other the other thing that sort of stood out to me, and this is more, uh, I'm jumping ahead a bit, but uh, Blake thinks a number of times in this sort of section where he's chatting to everyone, he's like, "Oh, you know, I have to properly prepare them for how the the abyss will try to hit them with visions and stuff," um, which is just great because he's the one who's kind of caught completely off guard by an abyss vision uh, for the second half of this chapter. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's kind of funny that he spends so much time worrying about everyone else. He forgot to take <laughs> care of himself. Like, yeah. Classic Blake. I mean, he might, they all might have had a vision. We, we haven't really had enough time to know that they haven't. Um, no, but even if they had, you know, he, he was too busy trying to yeah. tell them to be careful to, to kind of steal himself at all. Yes. Uh, which is bad. I mean, we know that the visions really, uh, rocked his world, let's say last time he was here. So, you know. It makes sense that he should have expected this to happen again. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Although I don't know what you can really do about it. Yeah, I mean, last time his strategy was just kind of like trust that Rose is there to help his friends and that was enough to kind of keep him on side and on Team Rose. Um, But that doesn't seem to be the vibe that he gets from this one because he's not prepared and he knows he can help his own friends now, but we'll get to that. <laughs> um, yeah. I just want to pull out uh, my favorite line of this chapter, which was Blake saying, ask if you need help or you can't find a way, okay? I heard one okay from elsewhere. I really hoped it was someone I knew and not a stranger's voice, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> uh, it's just like, it's such a perfect encapsulation of what the horror of the abyss is, that it's like this weird place where there's literally monsters everywhere. Um, it's great. I mean, I love th- this beat is equal parts comedy and horror. And I think there's actually a few times in this chapter, uh, while we're in the abyss where it's like things are simultaneously absolutely horrible and absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Like those clowns. Uh, and, yeah. Um, 
so I, I know I just really like the the way that those two because I think that's really hard to do is is add the comedy but still make me feel the horror and I think this chapter does it a number of times. Yeah, I think it's good because we've been talking about kind of tension management in this story and you know one of the best ways to diffuse tension is with a little bit of comedy, right? And so I think that mm. the tone of this chapter is really well managed where you're tense the whole time because a few characters get quite close to death throughout this character uh, this chapter but uh, Wabo kind of keeps the tone a little bit light so that you don't get too bogged down in the high intensityness of it. Mm. Mm. Um, so Roxanne uh, is still getting bugged and she starts to really freak out and even some lies from Peter doesn't help. So she freaks out enough that she's just like, nope, can't do this. And she heads inside to, I don't know, freak out more, I guess. Um, <laughs> and Pretty much. I think this is the first time that Roxanne really gets the message about how horrifying this world is. She's kind of been treating it a bit like a game, which is because she's a bit of a psycho, but um, she kind of grocks the horrifying nature of the world now, which is good. She needs to know that. Um, yeah, good, maybe a strong word, but uh, yeah, I mean, as, as we sort of already touched on, it's interesting the way she sort of gives up. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, it'd be interesting to track her going forward. I could see a, a situation where it's like, She's kind of always been the most psychotic and horrible thing around. Yeah. And uh, so, like, you know, as the most fucked up thing, she's used to being a big fish in a little <laughs> pond, and now she's kind of a little fish in a big fucked up pond. And, uh, she, you know, she's she doesn't have the tools to cope with that because she's used to being She's out of her worst. fucked up depth. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's an interesting read. Uh, I like it. Um, I, and this, I kind of had this thought while, we were, while I was rereading this chapter about we did a discussion question a while ago about uh, like how you would handle telling your friends about the practice or whether you'd tell them. Um, and I remember landing pretty solidly on the, yeah, I mean, there's some spooky stuff, but on the whole, magic is pretty awesome. And this story has done so much to convince me that that is the wrong opinion to take. Like, <laughs> being awakened is full on a curse. Like, having to deal with all this stuff is terrible. I think the only... The only um, practitioners that we see able to lead a normal life while being practitioners is the sisters of the torch i can't think of another example where their life isn't made shitty by this um i guess when it's not wartime and stuff things like the bahames seem to have that's true the the extended bahames that aren't the core group seem to be able to lead relatively normal lives that's fair Uh, even so it's a low success rate, I reckon. Um, yeah, it, yeah, and and I mean, you know, people like Fell have, have talked about that, like how you know, ignorance is bliss, basically. Yeah. Uh, in in this world, even being a behem, um, like your family makes the wrong enemy once, Blake Thorburn, and he basically has free <laughs> license in his mind to hunt you down and kill you, which is pretty fucked up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, yeah, by. Having the knowledge, you lose the protections and you open yourself up to all the danger of this world. Um, and it's not just people who awaken. I mean, we talked about what, what we thought the term was here for people who like sort of lose their, their innocence, but don't um, don't actually, you know, become practitioners like uh, Mags's dad's. Yep. Uh, the Thorburns. Yeah. I, uh, one user on our Discord suggested the term or the verb initiate rather than awaken. Yeah. Uh, for, so... so like, you know, Blake has initiated... I think we were the, calling uh, it indoctrinated before that, weren't we? <laughs> um, yeah, maybe. Um, 
but yes, I've forgotten the name of the user. Everyone's got Halloween names in our Discord at the moment, so I don't know what their normal names are. It was something about hornets. Yep. Um. So shout out to that user for for the the idea. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like just just telling giving people information of of, of this world is just. I mean, it's a very high risk. You can see why nobody wants to take this risk normally. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> um, so Blake heads in after Roxanne and basically gives her a Uncle Paul-style pep talk, which does work. She agrees to come back outside, and not a moment too soon, because this really creepy boogeyman has snuck up on them and is <laughs> about to do some horrifying thing um, before Blake basically says, No, don't do it. And the guy's like, okay, (laughs) you know. um, This guy is so terrifying. (laughs) Like, just everything about how he's described is just so unnerving. Yes. And then uh, just it it makes Blake actually feel kind of boss. Yeah. The way he's just like, nah. And this guy's like, okay. (laughs) So this boogeyman has been nicknamed the defenestration boogeyman by the Phantom, which I love, uh, with the assumption people assume that he wanted to throw them out the window. But it could have been anything, obviously. Um, And after they climb away, he kind of like slides out the window in a really creepy way as well. Uh, It's classic. Um, Yeah, I mean, defenestration kind of seems odd for this guy because we, we saw so many other things like there's a giant hand later that comes out and pushes people out windows so yep. uh, i don't know if that was really his gem or maybe that was his hand i guess we don't know enough about his powers yeah um but it, like <laughs> the bit where he just pops out like horizontally yeah, just watching them from from, from the window yeah. and is watching them is uh it's, yeah it was it was i i love how unnerving <laughs> uh everything about this guy was um yep he he was he was pretty fun. Um, yeah. I also I I do really like the bit where Blake finds himself giving the Uncle Paul or his dad type talk. I mean, I feel like as adults we've all had moments like that, right? Like, sure, has everyone had that moment where they, yeah you so you, you find yourself saying something and then you're like, oh my god, oh I'm I sound like my, my parents. parents, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I've never thought it would so, come to this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, I don't. I just really liked that moment. Um, and you know, it seems to work. So you know. Keep doing it, Blake, I yeah, guess. thumbs up, Blake. Um, so, Roxanne and Blake keep climbing, and suddenly a hilarious group of clowns uh, basically go fishing for Catherine um, and <laughs> get her. They catch themselves a big old Auntie Kathy. Yeah, I mean, this happens very quickly. Uh, well, it's just, Blake's just sort of talking about it, and then it's just suddenly, and there's clowns, and they've got a noose, and they've got Catherine, and you're just like, oh shit, like, it, it all just kind of is is over before you know what's happening yeah she is caught and is immediately in danger um and it's look i I don't know how to read this but Catherine seems to just accept that she's going to die like blake starts to climb down to help her and she says no 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 go on without me basically my arm is broken i'm fucked just go on and it's i don't know how to i don't i don't know how to read this like it could be protectiveness of Roxanne that could be supported by the text, or it could just kind of also be, and this is where I'm leaning more to, I think, that she just seems to be so sick of being a part of this world that it's just, she's just done. She's she's willing to just give up. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I also was sort of torn between those two reads and, you know, packed us both, blah, blah, blah. Um... I was more leaning towards the heroic side just because of the 
focus on Roxanne in everything she says. Um, that the just the way she phrases most things led me to yeah. think that she was more thinking of them going away. Like the the giving up move really would be to just drop. I don't know. Um, yeah, but it doesn't feel. <sighs> It doesn't feel heroic, I guess, is the other is the thing that makes me feel it's not that. Like, she doesn't feel like she's doing a heroic thing. She doesn't act like she's doing a heroic thing. And maybe that's just the drains. Maybe that's just Catherine. But that's what kind of makes it feel not like that to me. Yeah, I don't know. I actually did sort of get the feeling that what she was doing was quite mm. heroic. Um, so maybe we just sort of disagree on that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I don't know. Yeah, like, I think either way, um, you know. It's not. It's better than some of the other shit she's done. True. Um, she doesn't just fold like she has. Yeah. Um, kind of thinking about it more, I, I kind of came to this interesting idea that maybe this this whole practitioner thing about the house is hitting her harder than we thought. Like Catherine of all the Thorburns seems to be the one most invested, beyond maybe Uncle Paul, who can't actually win the house for himself. She seems to be the one most invested on trying to get the inheritance. And so mm. maybe the fact that she's kind of found out how shitty that inheritance actually is, is um, is hitting her hard, like making her reevaluate how much she's done to try and get this house basically all for nothing. Yeah, it, like I hadn't thought of that angle before, but that's actually really interesting. Um, and because you're right, like sort of applies to Catherine, but... Like it would apply to most of the uh, uh, adult females. Like uh, Paige is the other one I immediately sort of jumped to as, you know, as she's presumably learnt, learnt more and more from Isadora. Uh, you'd have to think that that's going to be affecting her on some level. Yeah. That this sort of thing that she's been aiming for for her whole life was uh, essentially a crock of shit. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, she's gotten a much better deal out of Isadora, probably. Uh, well, so yeah, we'll see. Know, uh, like, she shouldn't be feeling that bad. Um, but well, I mean, you know, a better deal than the Thorburn household's not really a high bar. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. It'd be interesting to. Uh, I, I just really want Paige to come back into this. I think there's some really interesting stuff to do with her. Yeah, yeah, can't wait to see her again. Um, so uh, basically, Catherine is saved by a Deus Ex uh, hand that reaches out of a window and basically kills this clown. Um, and Catherine is saved and she kind of is like, okay, well, I guess my give up is rescinded and I'll keep climbing. So uh, thanks, Mr. Hugs. Yeah. What is this? A crosser? Yeah. Um, no, I, I I like (laughs) this as a sort of, you know, there's always a bigger fish moment. Um, like, cause it's a great way of sort of saying, okay, we're safe, but we're not safe. Uh, (laughs) like there's just, there's just so much shit going on. This is like an ecosystem of terrible. Uh, and you know, and then sinks start falling as well. And there's just this general sense of like, okay, you know, she's not seconds away from dying now, but she could be. Yeah. But literally anyone is seconds away. She's not in any (laughs) immediate danger. She's just in the high amount of danger that we're all in because we could die at any moment (laughs) from anything. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so with, with that thread out of the way, they keep climbing and we kind of do a little bit of a time skip as Blake has a vision, um, Mm-hmm. This vision is of Rose and the Cabal researching him, and Rose has figured out what he is. Uh, the split heirs theory is confirmed! Yay! Congratulations, Elliot. Um, Blake and Rose are fighting for dominance over the same body, and she basically explains this to his friends and swears them all to secrecy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> whew, this is a big one. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, uh, like, again, uh, you can't really blame Rose for this. Yeah. Uh, like, she has no reason to trust Blake at this point. Uh, she has every reason to feel justifiably threatened by him since, from the sounds of it, she believes that they are essentially built to fight each other. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of what everyone has been telling them all story. <laughs> yeah. Um, and especially now he's a boogeyman. And again, like, I think he's going to be really hurt that his friends picked her side. But again, from their perspective, it it's hard to see why they wouldn't. Yeah. Like, <laughs> in that situation, picking Rose seems kind of like the easy choice. Yeah. They have no reason to trust him. They don't know they him. They don't know him, yeah. Um, I wonder if Rose knew this pre earning. What do you think? What would be more horrifying? Uh, I think maybe. Um, yeah. Probably yes, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, like I, I feel like maybe she did, but uh, I don't know. It probably doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess in the grand scheme of things. Um, I want to pull out this line that Rose says because she's kind of, she seems to be kind of throwing out justifications for the cabal staying on her side. And she says, when a man is cut in twain by the shears, the part that retains the heart and soul is female. And so this indicates firstly that the original Rose or Blake was male which is a fun fact, mm. I guess. But I kind of feel like this is bullshit, right? Like, maybe not that it's a lie, but that Rose kind of pulls out this line as justification for why she's the real one, no backsies, but, you know, like, there's parts that she's just conveniently not mentioning. Like, okay, yes, the person who gets the heart and soul is female, but the person who gets the connections and the brains is male. And she's just kind of picked the heart and soul abstractly as the thing that's the core human essence where it's not really that clear cut yeah i mean i right from the get-go i i didn't really buy this whole bit of like I, i'm sorry but i i can't see i can't see a situation where i've read read the story that i've read and i think that rose over blake is the one who got the heart and soul <laughs> yeah fair. Um, like she's always kind of been the the more logical scientific like heartlessy one uh, that just doesn't add up to me. And I mean, you know, like maybe, maybe it works the other way around. Like if it was originally Rose, like Rose is still working off the assumption she's the one who was cut up. But you know, it's like if, if the, if a, if a female is cut up, then maybe it's the male who gets the heart and soul and she just kind of left that information out. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I just, uh, yeah, I, I don't believe for a second that in this situation, uh, she's the one who ended up with the heart and soul. Uh, that just doesn't. Yeah. Unless heart and soul means very different thing in packs means to what I'm, else. I'm using it to mean. Yeah. I. I mean, obviously she's not lying. She can't lie. But I also don't feel like she's being deceptive here. Like, I think that this is what she believes. Like, she genuinely believes mm. I'm the one that is meant to be the heir. I'm the one that got the bits that you know that the heir is meant to get. But I. It, it just feels like she's oversimplifying it. Like, I don't believe that that's true, but I do believe she thinks it's true. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, and she has every reason to now that she's the one out of the mirror. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's, he's like, a boogeyman. Yeah, I wonder, if she did know this beforehand, she presumably could have been acting more directly against Blake earlier to try and usurp his uh, out-of-mirror position. Yeah, you you would have. Th oh no, I don't know. Because if if she knew that Granny Rose had contrived the whole scenario to let Blake kill all the enemies and stuff, she would have been more inclined to try and keep making yeah, peace true. with him. So he focused his efforts on everything else, not her. Yeah, that makes um, sense. 
but and then obviously i think like you know the the fact that we now know that she's you know not a complete person as well and and she's having to reinforce herself or something like again this just sort of feeds into that whole idea that she probably doesn't really have a as good a grip as she thinks on the conquest stuff because presumably when she takes damage now she's able to tap into and replace it with conquest energy rather than spirits i that doesn't seem like it would be a good thing to me i I don't replacing with spirits hasn't been 100 percent successful for everyone else either though so Mm. i don't know but uh it, it just feels like it's a not good thing she just needs to legitimize it sign that paper make him your familiar and go from there (laughs) um so we see everyone in the cabal sign on to this willingly explicitly willingly except for evan blake notes that evan seems to just kind of be i guess peer pressured into going along with it even though he doesn't really want to um so evan is still on side evan can be swayed back to your side blake bird boy and scary tree forever yes i can't wait for the 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 spin-off series um, or is it a spin-off if it's the same main character? Anyway, ah, <laughs> uh, but no, I I do love like it's just been nice. It's it's been one of the pure and nice things in this story since Blake got back from the drains and just sort of how instantly he and Evan kind of rebonded. Yeah, uh, and and so it's sort of good to have that mixed into this kind of negative betrayal vision. Um, the sense that you know Evan wasn't okay with it, uh, just naturally um yeah and, and i think the other thing to talk about here right at the end is as rose is uh getting all the others to promise to take her side <laughs> um that she she injects conquest energy into her voice to basically make it happen and she, so her quote here is that she influenced but not forced them they made the call of their own accord and like what a load of bullshit that is. Like, you know, Little Miss Heart and Soul, apparently, over here, is, um, you know, just being like, oh, I, I didn't force them to do it. I just, you know, like, heavily influenced yes. it. So, you know, it, it's fine. Yeah. Um, it's pretty uh, heart and soulless, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, again, I, I get, I get, I, I get why she did it. Um, but it's just, I don't know. She, pre- she, she kind of, I'm assuming that the narration we get is is almost like it's a little mini Rose interlude here, um, just from the way some of it's phrased. And this seems like her just being like, oh, you know, I'm not doing anything wrong. It's just, you know, I'm just helping it a bit. And it's like, no, you're not. This is like blatantly manipulative. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It's a, it's a manipulative play for sure. Uh, and so, you know, not to, not to take your job, Ruben, but uh, I, I want to quickly focus in on, on the first few lines after the vision ends before we talk about what happens after the vision proper. Yeah. Um, which is Blake comes out of the vision and he says, I felt the bird-like flutter in my chest jerk, twitch, then splinter as if it was multiplying. My entire body shuddered with the ensuing vibrations as if I had a flock of birds within me. Uh, and I mean, you know, we we've, we've talked a lot in the last few arcs about how Blake has been processing his emotions through this othery lens of of them being like flutters in his chest and being very bird-like and this is obviously like a a bit of a delivery on some of that because he's so like this has presumably pissed him off to such a huge degree yep uh that he's kind of exploding and maybe that's manifesting as um more spirits appearing in his sternum like I, i don't know i could actually see this as the abyss kind of you know, just chucking him a few a few help helpful hands, being like, "Hey, 
I'm just going to piss you off and then and juice you up a bit and, and off you go back into reality, uh, <laughs> cause cause some trouble. Do you think, um, so obviously we had the beats uh, earlier on in this or last arc of Blake, was it this arc, last arc, whatever, of Blake kind of being sucked down towards the abyss. Um, mm. Do you think that the abyss now kind of, the way I read this now is the abyss was kind of like, look, you're not being boogeyman enough. You're being a bit too friendly come back down here i'll i'll give you a few more anger inducing vindictive inducing visions and then i'll send you back up topped up with spirits how about that yeah i i mean because blake talks about the abyss as if it's like sort of the place has its own consciousness and i don't know how much intelligence to attribute to it like is it more spirit-esque where it's kind of very reactive and follows some simple rules um or is it you know essentially like uh like i mean if if it's if it's capable of like pretty pretty high intelligence i'd almost at that point call it some sort of god-like entity considering how big the abyss is i would say that the the sheer um on pointness of these visions let's say like the ability of the abyss to pick these visions that so perfectly seem to get blake to the emotional state that it seems to want indicates a kind of malevolent intelligence i would say yeah, um, so like I'd basically assume that that's some sort of god level thing. I think um, the abyss is Wildbo's self insert. That's my fan theory. The abyss is Wildbo <laughs> in this universe. Uh, yeah, but um, but but anyway, it's it's um, <laughs> not going to touch that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm so interested to see how how he goes from here because I feel like this is I I love the idea that this has tripped Blake's other emotions to a new degree and, and you know, what that's going to indicate for him going forward. Yeah. I feel like he's going to come out of the abyss not like he did last time, you know. I guess it's impossible to come out of here not a little bit more chewed up or something. Mm-hmm. Yep, in the way that a Wabo story kind of grinds you down. Um, Wabo creates all these monsters that he sends out to his uh, readers in the same way that the Abyss creates all these monsters that it sends out into the world. Look, I'm just saying, it's a fan theory, all right? Get on board. <laughs> anyway, should we move on? <laughs> <laughs> so the group continues their Yeah, climb. they keep climbing and they make it to the top <laughs> safely. Uh, but at what cost? Um yeah, and I like this uh, this bit where Blake can't even sort of look at Alexis. Uh, it's a bit of a reversal from what we've seen, uh, you know, the last arc-ish. So, yeah. um, you know, he he said in, there's been instances where uh, Alexis wasn't quite able to look him in the eye or, or whatever. Um, I'm just so psyched to see where this goes. I like that you frame that as a reversal because Blake has attributed it to, oh, Alexis must have taken some damage and she doesn't want me to see her. but. I kind of can see it as Alexis kind of realizing and getting closer to Blake and starting to feel more and more guilty about this exact thing to the fact, to the point that she doesn't want to look him in the eyes because she feels guilty about this. Um, Especially the kind of person that she is, where she is someone who kind of has made it her life's purpose to, to, you know, rehabilitate people that she sees as, as fallen or lost. Um, Mm. Blake is obviously a prime candidate for that. I mean, because we had that bit when Andy and Eva first stormed the house and she kind of manipulated him, probably, Yep. into attacking the paper girl. And knowing what we know now, it's hard to believe that that was anything other than her just kind of straight up manipulating the fact that she knew about their friendship. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, there was that even that bit after he confessed how important she was to him and she just sort of didn't respond for ages. Presumably, that was her juggling 
the promise she'd made to Rose with reacting to to this, yeah. as you as you're saying. Um, yeah. And Rose has been away for you know eight hours, and Blake has been there fighting, you know, gambling with his life to save her and the rest of them. I can imagine she would be starting to turn around on him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, on the whole, they weren't in the abyss for too long. Only a few almost deaths, and only one world-shattering re- re- uh, releva- revelation, which is uh, an improvement over last time we were here, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, um, good job. They did a little abyss speed run, and Operation Drain Drop <laughs> was a success. Yeah, and so now they get to go back to the frying pan that they jumped out yep. of. Uh, Yay. Half a Literally ago. back to the fire, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's the end of 12.5. Uh, now, a quick reminder, we have a discussion thread currently running, a discussion question, uh, mm. encouraging you to create the backstory for a boogeyman based on a local urban legend, local to you. Uh, make sure you get your answers in ASAP, because we will be taking a look at those for our next chapter which is coming out in, uh, what, three days, I think? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we'll be recording a day before that, so yeah. two day- you got about two days. Yeah, from get it in quick. Um, before we leave, though, uh, Elliot wanted to... Well, why don't you explain it, Elliot? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so for the bonus bit today, I wanted to talk about defenestration. <laughs> um, just just because, uh, yeah, both you and Wildbow informed me that for some reason... Uh, the the fandom really latched onto this this ill-fitting suit guy, um, and named him the defenestration boogeyman. Yep. Um, and I've just always loved the word defenestration, and I wanted to talk about uh, the, the history of the word because I've always thought it was fascinating. Yeah, it's an etymology monster corner this uh this this yeah. time. Oh, it's almost more just a little history lesson. Uh, his history corner. I don't know. Uh, I mean, just to, just to quickly get the actual etymology bit over. Uh, fenestra is Latin for like an, an opening, like a, an, an aperture or like a window. Uh, and then like D is, is sort of, you know, the Latin prefix for like from or of. So it sort of literally translates to like from the window, like defenestrate, mm-hmm. um, makes sense. Um, but the, the term was actually sort of coined, uh, in 1618, uh, in, in Prague, uh, there were basically a bunch of like Catholic regents and they were thrown out the window by some Protestants that they were arguing with. <laughs> Classic. Um, it was like a third story window and all three of the car, the Catholics who were thrown out actually survived. Um, the Catholics attributed this to angels saving them. The Protestants said that they all fell in a dung heap. So it depends who you ask. <laughs> um, but either way, um, this actually ended up kicking off the 30 years war. Which, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's actually one of the biggest ones in history. Like, 8 million people died um, in, in this war. And that's not just due to the fighting, but, um, like, the war kind of fucked up the infrastructure of, like, Central Europe so mm. much that um, most of those deaths were actually just sort of due to famine and plague. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was <laughs> this original defenestration uh, was actually quite uh, impactful on, on Europe's history. Um, but... The reason that the coin, the term was coined from, from this one throwing out of the window is actually because it was the third defenestration of Prague. <laughs> um, they, they loved their defenestrations there, don't they? Yeah, yeah. They were all about defenestrations back then, apparently. Um, so the first one was actually in uh, 1418. And basically there was like this riot going on and, and it kind of escalated and seven city council members got thrown out windows. Okay. Um, and this one's also quite famous because it qu- it kicked off the uh, Hussite Wars. Uh, Hussiti, I don't know. I should have looked up how to pronounce that. Um, 
but that's another war that lasted 18 years. Um, so you've got to be really careful about who you defenestrate. Because mm. um, you, can, you can really escalate You can really things, kick apparently. off a war. <laughs> um, in fact, uh, like when these seven council members were, were defenestrated in 1418, apparently the king of Bohemia was so shocked to hear this that he died of uh, shock. That's, oh, okay. Um, Weird. But yeah, anyway, so then um, there was the second d- defenestration um which is you know less known but basically there was like an organized coup of prague so this is all still defenestrations of prague i, sh- I should <laughs> say um but this is the second prague is the capital of, prague. of the world for defenestrations um, yeah i mean apparently um but anyway th- this one this one actually like it was like part of an organized coup and a bunch of people got defenestrated and that actually led to like some wars being passed uh, so all these churches were sort of equal under the law, and it led to an era of peace. So, you know, seems like this was far and away the most successful defenestration of, of Prague. Mm. Um, didn't just lead to millions of people dying. Yay! Um, a defenestration for good. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, then there's some other defenestrations uh, fighting for the label of the fourth. Yep. Um, but there's not really any console or, like, or any, you know agreement on yeah. uh which one holds the title uh one one of the big candidates though is actually from 1948 so this isn't all medieval oh, there's been some there's been some fairly recent uh defenestrations uh, of note in prague there you go um anyway so that's that's just a brief summary of the uh defenestrations of prague because like that's just so crazy to me that this is such a recurring <laughs> beat in prague that it, it got its own name and ended up coining the word for throwing someone out a window yeah so um We've met the Lord of Prague this chapter, and we'll see if he makes it a return. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, uh, anyway, that's, that's cool. our episode for today. Ah, well, thanks for that, Elliot. Um, but yeah, yeah, we, that brings us to the end of our episode on 12.5. Uh, if you have any famous defenestrations that you'd like to talk about, uh, obviously, as everyone knows, the place for defenestration chat is our discussion threads, which are on Reddit. Also, the place to leave your answers to our discussion question. You can find that in a link down in the little down below bits of the uh, podcast. Yeah. And have you heard of Twitter? If not, Whoa. I mean, probably don't. What is it? Probably don't bother. Um, uh, but, you know, if you're already there, <laughs> head on over to at MediaMDPodcast. Uh, give us a follow. I do live reads there. Uh, we do some other announcements there. Yep. Uh, you know, I think it's a great Twitter to follow. Um, Me too. Because it's... It's useful for deep impact. Listeners. And if two of us think it, it can't be wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, that's at MediaMD Podcast. Um, if you want to check out other shows on the Doof Media Network or uh, other info about our show, Deep Impact, the place to head is doofmedia.com. You can also find all of the other great Doof Media shows, like this great show with two handsome and charming hosts that we call MediaMD. Just released an episode yesterday talking about. Uh, Twisted Pear, the latest Neil Breen movie, which was an experience. If you're wondering what that is, uh, so are we. <laughs> uh, so go listen to that episode to, uh, I don't know, get a taste for the wild world of Breen. Yes, on the uh, spooky Halloween topic, next fortnight on Media MD, those two chaps will be talking about uh, the two Jordan Peele movies, Us and Get Out. So if you're interested in that, check out the latest episode of Media MD. Yes, uh, and also later today, uh, if you're listening just as this has come out, uh, we've got our Doof and Chill session. So for patrons at the $5 tier and above, the Doof Dancer tier, 
uh, you know, we're getting together with uh, Scott and, and, and some of the other guys, and we're all going to be playing a game of Would I Lie to You, which I'm very yep. much looking forward to. Yes, me too. Um, in order to get access to that, as Elliot said, you need to be a patron of $5 or up, or $5 and up. Um, and the place to do that is www.patreon.com forward slash doofmedia. Um, you get access to a whole bunch of perks for backing the network on Patreon, but the biggest perk of all is just that it warms my cold, cold heart. So uh, check that out <laughs> if you would like to, and you can afford to. Um, and if you can't, you don't have to. That's okay, too. Yeah, if every listener patrons, then both Blake and Rose will have a heart. Yep, that's how it works. Uh, then they both get to share the body, like a pair of Siamese <laughs> twins. Um, yeah, and if you liked The Abyss... And, and you want more horrible shit in, in your inbox? <laughs> yep. Uh, Patreon in your inbox. You can get it direct, directly mailed. He'll mail you directly horrible <laughs> shit if you back him on Patreon. I, can, I do think you can subscribe. I think you can actually subscribe to email updates on, oh, wow. on the Wobbo WordPress blogs. Maybe go. I'm wrong about that. I don't know. Anyway, just just go to Patreon slash Wobbo and give him money and he'll keep writing. Yep. And, and then we'll keep getting more crazy stories. Yep. He actually has written a few more interesting little packed uh, short stories set in the packed uh, universe, and that's uh, because we all love him and we all support him, so continue to do that. Yes. Um, wow, this is our longest non-interlude chapter, I think, uh, but <laughs> don't worry, it's over Probably. now, <laughs> so <laughs> we'll be back um, on Monday the 21st of October to talk about Juris 12.6, so we'll see you then. See ya. See ya.